It's Super Bowl weekend, and this is Geek Top 5. Woohoo! I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we've got five cool things to talk to you about, none of which have anything to do with football. Not that there's anything wrong with football, just not exactly in our wheelhouse. <laughs> Number five on the list. Ah, another bit of sad bit news where we found out over the last couple of weeks that John Hurt has passed away. Yeah, you know, as as uh, time goes on, uh, and there have been more and more mediums for entertainers to make a mark on on the world and on our psyches more and more of them are, are going to be seem to be passing away and john hurt is is another in that uh long depressing list yeah. but we wanted to make special note of him because he has had a lot of cool geek roles in his career i you know maybe a little too soon to make the joke but a lot of in which he's died of he, uh, he's, he's kind of been the pre-Sean Bean when you look yeah. at his, his filmography. He's also uh, been able to play old men for a long time now, and old men have a tendency to die in movies, so that probably yeah. helps. I think I still think Sean Bean's a little unique in, in that regard. Cause he's, he's... he's probably got the record, but John Hurt's up there. <laughs> uh, John Hurt, I mean, there's so many ways to go about it. I guess a lot of people would know him from Elephant Man. I guess that's sort of his biggest thing. That was sort of... Uh... I, I don't know if that would count that in his his geek wheelhouse. No, but that's but, where yeah, yeah that's I, his no, biggest like, starring role. But it, you don't see his face in it, so it's hard to really like identify him as true as in that role. No, to me, I mean, he'll always be the guy who whose chest exploded an alien. Right, that's, exactly. That, yeah, he's a chest burster guy, he's, and then he did it again in Spaceballs. Exactly, and then it was enshrined <laughs> forever. It's <laughs> you know rare that you get a chance to see a guy parody his own performance in another movie. Uh, but yeah, he's he was great in that. He was a, a cool part in uh, that first Alien movie, and you know he was. I well, I guess that was sort of a star-making role for him before, or at least made him more known, like especially right. outside of smaller British fare. Speaking of which, he has over two hundred acting credits listed on IMDb, so he has done his fair share of acting. Uh, some of the highlights, uh, other than than you know, yeah, the, the the, the an alien exploding out of his chest. Yeah. He was the main character in uh, the 1984 adaptation that I think came out in 1984, and then he sort of got to play the exact opposite part in V for Vendetta, where he was sort of a Big Brother s character. He was oh like yeah, you're leader. right. Yeah, so he was sort of at opposite ends of his career, he got to flip from being the guy fighting the system to the guy who was the v- visual representation of the system. So that's kind of neat. That's fun. Uh, he also did the voice of Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings cartoons uh, way back when. Way back when. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of neat. Yeah. More up-to-date viewers probably recognize him. He was Ollivander in the Harry Potter movies, which is really kind of a B-roll, especially in the movies, but is important as an establishing character. He establishes the universe, and so having him there really helps do that bit of gravitas. And yeah. he was also in Doctor Who. He was the War Doctor. Right. Which, so, that's, a cool, that's a pretty cool it's name. It's a great name. And it was uh, he was only in like three episodes, I think, of, of IMDb is to be believed. He's sort of like an in-between character that we, uh, we as the audience didn't get to see. It didn't realize he existed until an episode that sort of flashed back to that time, just before the 50th anniversary. So it was a cool role. He's he's a canon one of the doctors regenerations. So he he counts. He's he's always going to be part of that legacy. So that's kind of neat, especially for a character that can seemingly anyway go on forever. Forever. Uh, well, actually, I think there's a, there's a plot MacGuffin in there. Like he's only got like twelve lives or something. I'm not I'm not that much of a Whovian, so correct me if I'm wrong. He that is correct. And okay. He was like they wanted to do uh, the final regeneration for. So uh, let me just say that some of the details are a little foggy for me. But he they they wanted to do the last regeneration, have that storyline be connected with the fiftieth anniversary. But they were only at eleven doctors at that point, so they had to create this war doctor as an in-between oh. doctor. So the guy we thought was the eleventh doctor was actually the twelfth, and so he was running. A, that was it. That was his last regeneration. But then you know they magicked. He gets another twelve regenerations. It's like ah, okay. you know but he'll they, be fine. Yeah, they sci-fied their way out of it. Good for them. Yeah, um, but we're getting a little into the weeds. Uh, John Hurt, I mean, like, really, the short, short version of this is that he's everywhere. He, like, he's got that face and that voice, that gravelly old man voice. 
that you just it just has been part of movies and television and just since as long as I've been watching it. Yeah, and and especially in the last ten years or so, whenever he appeared on screen, it, I was always like, "Oh, John Hurt!" It was it was a pleasant surprise because he was always he always brought a certain niceness generally, except when he played a bad, bad guy. But always like he was a pleasant uh, uh, aspect of the movie. You know, mm. it was always nice to see him, like an old friend. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, like a lot of those traditional English actors, he's also got some stuff on the stage. Um, this is one of those things I think that we, especially here in North America, we sort of stereotype like with the Patrick Stewarts of the world, is you know, where they all have that background of the like Shakespearean theater and they learn how to renunciate <laughs> and project themselves. Like, he's got all of that background too, and maybe that is what helps what makes him so distinctive. Um, and it's a shame that we're not going to see him anymore. It's, it's, it's the, the, it, there's a certain type of character. Like, oh yeah, that's a John Hurt character. Yeah, yeah. He was the perfect guy for a certain set of roles, and, and now we'll have to find a new one, I guess. Yeah. But uh, he's got a few more movies in the can, so we'll see him pop up here and there before uh, before we run out of John Hurt movies. Or somebody CGs him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the 21st century, everybody. So, why don't we move on to number four? Number four. Yeah, DC Comics continues their tragic quest to figure out how to make a good movie. Uh, we got a couple of weird bits of could be bad news, could be good news. It so seems like say. it's like they are constantly playing musical chairs behind the scenes on those movies. They are scrambling to figure out what to do. At this point, I I really feel like they should pull. Uh, something that gets done in all sorts of media or more, like sports. This happens all the time. If there's a successful team, uh, other teams will start poaching people from behind the scenes of that team to try and make their team better. Right. Uh, they really have to start getting some of these Marvel behind-the-scenes guys and bring them over to their side to try and... Unfortunately, Marvel's people are pretty happy where they are. That's true. Let's get right down to the meat of it. You want to yeah. start with Batman or The Flash? Let's do Batman. Yeah, so Batman... So everyone was worried about Batfleck. Uh, and yeah, that movie turned out to be a dumpster fire, but Batfleck wasn't bad. No, he was he was he did a pretty good job. It wasn't, you know, my idea of Batman and there was some silly stuff in it, but it wasn't really his fault. Yeah. He, his portray- he did a good job as yeah. a Batman actor. I was certainly not the worst Batman in a movie I've ever seen. Certainly not. Uh, uh, so when they announced that, you know, the Batman standalone movie starring Batfleck, okay, we were all on board. Um, but Bat, well, okay, no, Ben Affleck, an actual human being, <laughs> besides playing... Not, not a portmanteau. Yeah, was actually going to direct in addition to acting. No! See, I was of two minds, because he is a great director. He did uh, Gone Baby, Gone... I keep getting confused with Gone Girl, which he was in, R- but didn't direct. Right. But Gone Baby, Gone... Uh, and he did The Town, and most famously did Argo. And in a lot of these movies, he directed and acted in them, so he's got that going. Yeah, yeah, he's established that he can do this. Although, it would be a little weird to see him direct in, you know, the Batman cowl and pointy ears and everything. But, hey, wouldn't be the first time there'd been an actor-director combo that's had to look a little weird. But he has apparently voluntarily stepped down from the directing role. Which... Is because they have to keep him as the actor, it had to be at least seen to be a mutual decision, I think. Exactly. But I don't think anyone buys that he just decided not to direct the movie. And that's the narrative they're going with. I mean, to me, one of the worrying things about it is that he had said previously that he would only direct it if it was like a great script. And if they couldn't get a good script working, he wouldn't make it. Now he's not making it. So... What does that say about the script he's yeah. been working on with Jeff Johns? And important note, like, they don't have a replacement director for him yet, right? Yeah. Like, the movie has a release date. It's coming out in November. And they don't have a director. It's... <laughs> it's yeah. Uh, so he's still planning to be in it, but he sort of seems like he's divesting himself of responsibility for it. And now, let's be fair. We're viewing this through the lens of precedent. Like, you know, after having been repeatedly disappointed in DC movie after DC movie... We're expecting the worst. Yeah. Uh, it's very possible maybe something else has come up in his life and he doesn't have the time to direct, but it's going to be great, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. But uh, they, some names have been floated as potential replacements, and they've all been big names like uh, Clint Eastwood and, and names like that. And that's fine, but I think the real problem here is 
they keep losing directors, as we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. They keep losing directors, and it always seems to be over creative differences. So I think they need to find a director like you know Tim Miller from Deadpool or, mm. or other directors like like the guys they've gotten for Spider Man and, and a lot of the Marvel movies, where they just sort of have one good movie and then they are given this, and that makes them arguably a bit more controllable. Maybe you know. Certainly, they need to stop going with Zack Snyder. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because although I have seen some articles who are like, this is a chance, we gotta get Zack Snyder on here. and They keep giving man. him chance after chance after chance. He keeps doing the same thing over yeah, and over. making the same mistakes. Yeah, you know what the definition of insanity is? <laughs> so, but, yeah, but so speaking of which, speaking of directors, we're having similar problems with The Flash, but even worse. So they're rewriting the movie from page one again because they've ditched their second director, who was also the screenwriter. Yeah. It um the original writer was Seth Graham Smith. And even before that there was a treatment done by Phil Lord and Chris Miller who are doing the Han Solo movie and did the Lego movie and Clone. So High. that was two. And then third was this I've never even heard of this guy, Rick Femuyua. Yeah, he, he directed Dope, which was uh you know, an indie hit. He's like the perfect guy based on my criteria for the Batman director. He had like one or two movies right. on his thing, so you'd think he'd be a little more pliable. So he was gonna write and direct, but there was you know like creative differences. Creative differences. Yeah. And now he's left and taking his script with him. So now they're gonna rewrite the whole movie again. And find a new director. Listen, if you have no script and no director, you don't have a movie. And I feel bad for Ezra Miller. You know, the guy who's playing The Flash, he's he's shown up in the barest of cameos in uh, Batman vs. Superman and Suicide Squad. It's like, he's he looks good. He's primed. He's ready to do it. He looked great in the Justice League trailer. Yep. And they can't get anything going for him. And it doesn't seem like it should be that hard. The Flash is on TV, and it's I, very popular. Yeah. They have the formula to make that work. But part of the problem is there's a Flash on TV, and there's a lot of the same story material that they might want to mine for this movie has already been mined over the course of three seasons mm-hmm. of That's a TV true. show. But, I mean, it's a DC comic book. It's not like they're lacking material. There's That's true. stuff out there. Listen, you want to, like, they're trying to do Green Lantern 2, so you know what? Let's bring them the War of Light and give them a blue power ring one port during the movie. Why not? There, there's a cool twist. That'd be cool, but yeah. at this rate, it seems like uh, the Green Lantern movie will get off the ground before The Flash does. It's just, it's one thing after another, and the impression we all have is that they have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. They keep making these movies, and they keep being terrible, and just picturing a room full of executives just like tossing papers in the air going, what do we do? It's a tainted well. Yeah, there you go. That's a good way to put it. So they're trying to figure out what to, you know, how to clean those waters. And apparently they got nothing because they're losing people behind the scenes left and right. Yeah, I mean, we... we... Meanwhile, you have Marvel. They're like, okay, I don't know. Let's, uh, we're going to have Thor and the Hulk and Doc Strange making a movie. Yeah. And we're all jazzed. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they, they had a problem like this, sort of like this, uh, a couple of years ago when Edgar Wright dropped out of the Ant-Man movie after years and years of development. And, you know, we were worried. But the guy they got to replace him, whose name completely escapes me, but he delivered a great little movie. You know, who would have thought that uh, uh, there would be a great Ant-Man movie? Yeah. And yet we've got it. it, it I mean, it wasn't a blockbuster. It wasn't, I'm not going to go out and buy the t-shirts. But yeah, it, Ant-Man was fun. Look, if I had told you that there would be a decent Ant-Man movie... You're right. I would I would never have believed you. Yeah, so yeah. I think that gives it a lot of extra credit. And, you know, it has its problems, but it is a, a good movie. It's a fun ride. It's funny. And it made me want to see more. And, you know, I love Edgar Wright as a director, and I was super disappointed when he left. True. So, it had to be really good in order to, to redeem itself for me, and, and it hit everything I wanted. And so that's where Marvel, you know, they've got the benefit of the doubt that DC just doesn't have. DC it. has the opposite, has the expectation of the doubt. Right, yeah. right. And at the, the rate this news, like, it looks like they have a long way to go before they'll surprise us. And I want, I, I'm rooting for them. Like, I, 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 I want there to be good DC movies. I, we all do. be, you know, I don't want to go to a movie and be disappointed by it. And yet, it seems like that's uh, what we've got coming down the, the line from DC for years to come. <laughs> Until they finally give up. Yeah. Number three on the list. Um, speaking earlier about Doctor Who, uh, Peter Capaldi, the Doctor, has announced that he's leaving the show. Which is a 
big deal, I guess, if you know more about Doctor Who, because it seems to me that Doctors change on the show all the time, so I don't know. But, but... it's always a big deal when it happens, because it means... Because the Doctor is the main character, and the Doctor is yes. one continuous being, and yet every actor brings something new and different to the role. There's different stories that happen with the, the different actors, and... So it's always, it could be a time of trepidation and excitement. Like, oh, well, how are they going to kill this doctor? <laughs> right. And how are they, what will the new doctor mean? Like, what type of doctor are we going to get with the next one? And I, at first, when I heard this, I thought, wow, that that's a pretty short run for him. But he's, it'll be about four years. Yeah, which is a kind of average yeah. for doctors, right? Yeah, I was sort of surprised. I, I thought he would end up, like, when I heard about it, like I said, I thought, that's pretty short, but really, it's on par with a lot of the more recent ones. I have to say, when he came on board, I was excited. I, I loved the Matt Smith Doctor, and Peter Capaldi looked like he was going to be bringing something new and different to the role. He's he's best known for sort of being these angry, surly guys. And then I started watching the show, and it just seemed like it was an old man doing a Matt Smith impression. And it's not what I wanted, and the scripts weren't as good, and... You know, Clara was his companion for most of it, and she'd been uh, Matt Smith's last companion. And again, that was another character I wanted to like, but for some reason never connected with. So it was all this confluence of events that made his run it completely lost me. So in your case specifically, having a new Doctor is very exciting. So it's going to change the tone of the show, it's going to make things a little different, maybe drag you back into it. Let's be clear, Whovians are all over the place. Some people right. love Peter Capaldi, some people love Matt Smith. Some people hate Matt Smith, but love Peter Capaldi. Very true. It just, it's, there's a lot of different <laughs> opinions on this. I don't know how you people follow all this stuff. <laughs> uh, it just seems like it's another thing. I mean, now behind the scenes, it seems like this is his decision. Like the rumor mill is saying, like, like, I guess his contract is up and they were in talks to renew it. And he said, no, nah, I think I'm done with this. This has been fun. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to move on. So it sounds like everybody is, like, you know, everyone's going to have an amicable divorce. Yeah. And the the showrunner, Stephen Moffat, he's leaving or left as well. And, and so we're going to be getting, like, a whole new thing. Like, when Matt Smith started, he started with, Matt, uh, with Stephen Moffat as the showrunner. Like, they started at the same time. And uh, they they made some beautiful music together. So hopefully, whoever this new doctor is and whoever the new showrunner is, they can bring something new to the table. Because it's, to me anyway, Doctor Who is starting to feel a little stale, a little by the numbers. And I, I think a new injection of, of, of fresh blood and, and fresh creativity is going to help. Now the big question is, who's going to be the new doctor? Right. There's been a movement for a while to sort of change up the formula of having, like, quirky English white guy. Yeah, we've the... had 13 of those, I think, uh, over the past 50 years. Yeah. So maybe it's time for a quirky woman or a quirky black guy or a quirky anything Anything else. but a white English guy. Yeah. yeah. And now, the show is very English. So, I think it, it'll but, have to be English. But, but I am fairly certain they have both women and people of color in the UK. <laughs> so it shouldn't, it doesn't seem like it's too much of a stretch. Are they going to be able to do something like that, though? Is that too much of a shift? Like this show that has been established for fifty years, like you, know, you settle into a very comfortable place. Like if yeah. they do that, is it going to be too much for people? I think the other, I mean, that is a good question. And, and another thing to consider with it is, are they going to have to make some sort of reason why? Like why after thirteen iterations of him, where he's a white guy? Has he suddenly changed well, gender or but, appearance? But, but or... it's Doctor Who. Like they write away little things like that all the time, right? You can just say, I like, guess so. you can just say like, oh, I wanted to change. Yeah, and that would be enough for that audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of the names that have been kicked around are like Idris Elba, which would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Haley Atwell has, I think, actually kind of campaigned for the part. Um, Haley Atwell was was Peggy Carter on the TV show, the the Marvels agent. Peggy Carter things. Yeah, and in the, and the first Captain America movie. Yeah, I mean, and the second as well, and her funeral was the third. Yeah. Hmm. So she's had a, an arc through there, but uh, I don't know if she's quite the right take. It's like, whoever it is, they need to be a little weird. And Yeah, there's a certain energy associated with that character, regardless of who yeah. the Doctor has been. And I don't know if, if Idris Elba's got that weirdness, or Haley Atwell. I mean, maybe hmm. we need someone... Uh, unknown or or someone who's 
just is we need someone a bit more quirky. I yeah. think. Are they, are they still running? I mean, I mean, obviously a little bit too much time has passed, but I'm thinking of like Faulty Towers. Like, I don't know enough about English television to know if they're still running shows like that. But get someone from that environment. Yeah. Like someone who's just accustomed to off-the-wall zaniness. Yeah, like a modern-day John Cleese or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a, it's a tough call. Uh, but I'm excited to see who they go. I'm sure we'll be reporting on it when it happens. Uh, I'm hopeful that it, it manages to bring me back into the fold, because I miss Doctor Who. And <laughs> honestly, with this Capaldi stuff, a couple of times I've tried to dip my toes back in, and I just can't get into it. Yeah, it's the advantage of a show that... Writes in a device to let it change up its staff whenever it needs to. True. That, uh, that's so good on them. Good on you, original Doctor Who creators. Uh, yeah, it was very smart. <laughs> Number two on the list, uh, we got another couple of things from Mass Effect. Woo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a new cinematic trailer, which I mean, it's fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but it's also pretty. You know, they're in space, and then there's an alien and a bad guy with a really deep voice, and then there's explosions and some people kiss. It's very, very, you know, it's a trailer. So it gives us a, a bit more idea of what the story of the game will be, whereas some of the other more recent stuff have been sort of setting the groundwork, like they're sort of prequels to the game. Yeah, this has been like, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, we also, however, got another one of those briefing videos, which is they're in-universe, like, you know, like, let's tell you about who your team members are going to be. And they've released little, like, little things that tie back to the original Mass Effect story, which I originally like. So we're going to end up a bit in the weeds here, but so for those of you who haven't played the game, minor spoilers, but if you haven't played it by now, you're not going to anyway. Um, the, so what we got, the narrator for this video was, is a female character who's sort of being marketed like the second in command and of the advertised, if not necessarily mandatory, love interest. Um, wow. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, sort of the, sort of the way Ashley was in the first Mass Effect yeah. trilogy. Like Possibly she, your default love interest. Yeah, but... there you go. Default is a good way <laughs> to put it. Uh, the character's name is Cora Harper. Now, Harper is an interesting name in the Mass Effect franchise. Because in the original trilogy, arguably the main antagonist was the elusive man. As portrayed incredibly by Martin Sheen. It's phenomenal. Right. But Refresh my memory. He doesn't show up till the second game, right? He doesn't show up till the second game. Um, who he is in the, tr- in the trilogy is he's the leader of essentially a terrorist group, future space terrorist group called Cerberus. They are a, a in a world of aliens, they're a pro-human group, human rights, very alt-right <laughs> kind of thing. And they end up being major bad guys. Like they grow from being sort of a smoking man, X-Files, like shadowy group. Yeah, where being, you're like... You you sort of have to work with them, and you're reluctant, but yeah. like maybe like, they're it, not as bad as they seem. In Mass Effect 1, it's like, every once in a while, you hear their name dropped, but they're right. not even in the spotlight. By Mass Effect 3, like, yeah, you're, like, Martin Sheen's the bad guy. Right. He, the elusive, his character, his real name, was Jack Harper. Hmm. So, I mean, yes, in real life, I'm sure there are plenty of people named Harper, but Mass Effect is a narrative. Yeah. It seems like there's a connection between these two characters, which is really interesting. They also alluded to the fact that one of the characters is an artificial intelligence. In the Mass Effect fiction, AIs are extremely illegal. So, it looks like what they're hinting at, like, if you go back to it, the, you know, if it's Star Trek, they have the Federation. In Mass Effect, it's the Systems Alliance. That's who you are. You're a soldier for the Systems Alliance Navy. But you don't actually hear about the Alliance in any of this Andromeda stuff. It sounds like a lot of, like, the group that's going to this new galaxy little hints that it may be very Cerberus tied. But what about all the aliens? Well, remember, they all have their own arcs. Right. They say, like, there's a human ship, and there's a Krogan ship, yeah, and there's a Turian ship. you don't ship. mean, like, story arc, you mean, like, like Noah's arc. Well, yeah, it could be, could be both, to be honest. <laughs> but what we're seeing is a divide among the races, and lots of talk about, like, it's a civilian operation, and this is the human ship, and the human team... So, like, we get the A-plot. We're going to a new galaxy and meeting new life and new civilizations <laughs> and shooting them and blowing them up and kissing them. Yeah, and boldly going where... Yeah, exactly. No gone where no Mass Effect gamer has gone before. Right. <laughs> but it looks like there's stuff happening under the scenes to tie it back into... Which is very exciting to me. Right. Because I just... We, like, Mass Effect is all story. It's all dialogue. And where you are on that... I mean, most of the choices are how you define your character in the first Mass Effect is... Are you okay with aliens? Like, are we getting along and being friends, or are, there, are we still tense? Is there still... Yeah. Is there uh, prejudice? Yeah. It's like Mass Effect 1 comes right on the heels of the war between the humans and the Turians, the, like, the bird, yeah. reptile, alien race, and all that. Like, 
So drawing that in, it's like they're adding the elements to show that, like, well, first off, just to appeal to Mass Effect fans, yes, this isn't entirely a clean break. It's still the world you love, and the situations you're familiar with are going to apply here. And also adding interesting motivations to it. So one of the things that struck me about this, well, a question I had a little frustrated with in the the team briefing video was it shows all these human characters that are are part of your Pathfinder team, but then the cinematic trailer, you see you've got the uh, Asari team member, Pee-wee, you've got a Krogan on your team, there's the Solarian pilot, and they're not mentioned at all, and so it's like, I want to know more about them, you know? They're doing a very good job of parceling out the information bit by bit, breadcrumb by breadcrumb. Yeah. We've got two months until it comes out. <laughs> is it, is it, isn't it just like a month or maybe a month and a half at this point? Uh, maybe it's closer to a month and a half. It's, it's March 23rd, so... <laughs> Need it now. Need it now. But, okay, so we can see some of like where there's going to be opportunities for tension to arise, and it's very exciting. Number one. This was big news, even outside of the geekverse. Uh, yeah, for once, our interests and everyone else's interests aligned. Star Wars... Episode 8, The Last Jedi. Now, it is crazy that just a title reveal has been has led to the rabid speculation and, and conversations that it has, and yet here we are with and it as our number one. Yeah. <laughs> now, the way I see it, I mean, they have the Star Wars, but it's all in red, and it's mm-hmm. called The Last Jedi, so Luke is doomed, right? Like that's that's a foregone conclusion. Can we all agree on that? No, I Luke's going to die. I refuse to accept that. Uh, <laughs> Luke is not going to die. I I think it would be too weird to kill off Han in one movie. Spoilers, and then Luke in the next. Uh, I don't think he's going to die. I'm I guarantee that he's doomed. If that happens, it's... and then like Lando shows up in the third movie, then we're going to be like <laughs> he's got a bullseye on his back. You know, the way I see it. All the original cast have bullseyes on their back at this point. Like, they gotta make room for the new crew. I, they don't have to, though. That would be so weird to me. I, I, you don't have to kill off the... That, that, what is that saying? Like, all all the past gets killed off to make way for the new? Yes. No! You <laughs> need <laughs> the, the, the old there I mean, to listen, teach the like, new. Luke can come back as a ghost. And get what I told you... If they like, weren't gonna do that in the first one, they're not gonna do it in the second but, one. But remember... They originally gave Luke more of a role in the first one, but they decided not to because it kept distracting from the other characters. They were saying once Luke Skywalker shows up on screen, all anyone wanted to know about was what was happening with Luke Skywalker. So they deliberately, essentially removed him from The Force Awakens. So you don't think killing him would be distracting? I think that ends the distraction. Oh my god. I mean, I'm sure it's the climax. Like, I'm sure he's not just going to like walk down an elevator <laughs> shaft. And, whoops! Or, like, <laughs> he's going to like fall off the back of that... Uh, that cliff he's standing on yeah. when he hands him the lightsaber he'll push it a little too I'm hard sure into his be, hands I'm sure it'll be very dramatic you know like he'll die to save Ray from something or other but I'm pretty sure I'm putting he's my foot done. down he's not dying All that's right. it fair enough <laughs> but The Last Jedi doesn't necessarily have to refer to him the, I mean I, a big conversation is Jedi is is I don't know the it, exact... It can be plural yeah exactly there's probably a word for that but it's it's a word that's both singular and plural uh, maybe they will be the last Jedi together, Luke and Rey and whoever else. Maybe Kylo Ren will come back. But it does sound like kind of a like you know we already saw that from the last trilogy is you know, not the last of the old Jedi, Luke, the first of the new. Are they going to repeat that for Rey? Now you're not the last of the old Jedi. You're the first of the new. <laughs> it could you'll, be. You'll, uh, I mean, another way to look at it is what people have been saying is that like maybe are the Jedi Knights over? Or are we doing something new? I mean, we've already got Kylo Ren as the leader of the Knights of Ren. Yeah, we don't know much about him, but... Presumably they're the new Sith. Presumably. And the Star Wars, like, EU, now Legends, has been full of other, like, Force organizations. Right. Uh, the Force Witches on Dathomir, and the the Gensari. <laughs> the, like, ridiculous... Anyway, the, the, it, it, it gets pretty deep, but like there are other people using the Force, and the, those Force witches were in some of the cartoons that are considered canon now, right? So. Yeah, they are absolutely canon. So. All right, so there's that. So it could be like maybe they're just we're not going to do Jedi Knights anymore. We're going to be doing something else entirely, which is also cool. Yeah, uh, I guess. But yeah, the like, the highlight of the story is that it, it is yeah it invites so much speculation. Right. None of this is spoilers because we have no basis for any of this. It's just so exciting to wonder about. Now, the, the it sounds like the next chance we'll get to get 
um, some real information, some real new stuff, other than just a title, is probably at the Star Wars Celebration, which is uh, going to run from April 13th to 16th in Orlando, Florida. It sounds like that's when the first trailer will be released. It's, it's essentially Star Wars Con. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty cool. So, you know, mark that date on your calendar. Uh, and then it, I'm kind of surprised by all the new cast that are coming in, but I guess I shouldn't be. But we've got Benicio Del Toro, who's going to be a, a new villain in it. He was uh, he was the collector in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, and he's been a million amazing movies over the years. Yeah, Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. Yeah. Laura Dern is going to be in it, uh, presumably as some sort of uh, politician that doesn't get along with Poe or something like that. That's the rumor. Mm-hmm. And then there's a woman named uh, Kelly Marie Tran, who doesn't have much of a track record, except for being in some videos on comedy sites online. So... They're casting a comic, yeah. so she's probably going to be like she's probably not going to be a, like a serious Jedi Master. Yeah, yeah, probably filling in the the comic relief role of Han Solo now that he is dearly departed. Yeah, I mean, do you, but you can't. I mean, do you call that role comic relief? Or he's the in all the movies, he's the funny. He's certainly he's the funny one. Yes, yeah, so we got a whole bunch of speculation and no real evidence, but calling it the Last Jedi. I mean, if nothing else. Like, we know from Force Awakens that, like, that's sort of like Luke Skywalker's title. He's Luke yeah. Skywalker, The Last Jedi. And this is going to be a movie, like, like stuff is going to be about him in this movie. Which means Episode Nine can't be. I mean, so based on that, well, like, <sighs> Episode Nine has got to be with the, like, it, 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 you have to let the old cast go. It's got to be the new, it's got to be Kylo and Rey and Finn and Poe. Arguably Phasma, depending on what they want to do with her. I don't know. I, I Maybe this will be, you know, his movie, but I still don't think that means he has to die. I mean, he can just take on more advisory role to Rey or whoever in the like, third train movie. Train her to be a Jedi for this movie and then go on a vacation. Yeah. And, like, yeah. they can call him, you know, at one point in nine, like Spock in the, in the J.J. Sure. Star Trek movies. <laughs> just to... I would be all in favor of that. I don't know. I, I, I'm still, I'm very excited, and, and obviously, because it's led to all this speculation back and forth, I'm going to put my foot down and say he's definitely not going to die, and that's that. I believe he definitely is. We will see who wins. <laughs> so we'll have to wait and see. In the meantime, you've been listening to Geek Top 5. We'll be right back with our next segment, so please stay tuned. And we're back for the second half of Geek Top 5. This week, we have foremost Simpsons expert Doug Ben here, a filmmaker, editor, and one of the hosts of the, uh, what do you call it, the YouTube... Uh, it's a, like a web talk, talk show. show. Web okay. talk show. Web talk. Say. Yeah. Called The the Point. Yeah, The right? Point. Yeah, so... It's full of puns about points. All right, well, it means someone had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. speaking of points, from what I hear, you're pretty sharp... Winnick, huh? Uh, yeah? Oh boy! Hey, what did I agree? To? <laughs> <laughs> you thought your show was punny. <laughs> All right, Doug. From what I hear, you've seen an episode or two of The Simpsons. Well, actually, specifically for this show, I bumped that up to five, just so that I would have enough to come on the show. Yes, I've seen a few. It's uh, I, I used to say as a, when I was younger, if I could put, say that there were two things that defined my childhood, it was The Simpsons. Or craft dinner, um, so just because I ate a lot of it when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like we all did. It's Canada. It's Both ugly right? yellow. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Maybe there's something about that. I don't know. I should probably talk to somebody about this obsession. <laughs> now, yeah. admittedly, I am jazzed to hear about the top five craft dinner, um, but for the purposes of the show, you brought to us the top five episodes. Your favorite episodes of The Simpsons, or the best episodes of The Simpsons, or what are we exactly? What are we looking at? Well, there's like I could probably give you like a list of like thirty best episodes that are all t- kind of tied for number one. These ones are uh, my top five. I think. I mean, again, like I could add several more, but uh, my top five for a couple of different reasons. Some of them are like what they did comedically, how they were constructed as episodes. Uh, and just how they affected me and, and like, the, my interests and things and how I found them to be uh, important at different times in my life, you know what I mean? And, All right. Uh, it's a lot deeper than I usually wow. expect with I, The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into some examples before we get too speculative. What's number five on there? 
Number five on my list is um, The Trouble with Trillions, which is a season nine episode. Uh, okay, so so give us a rundown on the episode. What's the basic plot of this one, for those who uh, don't know? Basically, um, Homer commits tax fraud, uh, which is just delightful. <laughs> and, uh, and the government then decides to use him to spy on his friends and to solve this particular case that uh, after World War II, Mr. Burns stole a trillion dollar bill from the uh, from the American government, and so they've been trying to uh, trying to find out about it. Or and they haven't had many leads. And as he says, it, as one part, we've all we've ascertained from satellite photos is that it's not on the roof, which I always <laughs> thought was one of my favorite lines in the episode. Um, but yeah, that's that's the gist of it. Okay, so what is it about the episode that that makes it one of your top five? I think there's just so many bits that I mean. There, there's a lot of things that impact me on a daily level, right? So uh, the, the the beginning of the the episode where uh, Ned is doing his taxes at you know twelve oh one, and then in the morning finishing up his taxes on January first, uh, and he says uh, eight forty five. Here I am yapping away like it's eight thirty five. Like I use that all the time in my daily life. You know, just a lot of these expressions and things like that. That was one thing. Um, the whole tax thing, I definitely appreciate more watching it as a relative adult as opposed to when I was, you know, 10 and watching it on uh, reruns. Yeah, oh, for sure, yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot of things you don't uh, <laughs> quite appreciate, you know. I filed my taxes over a year ago, that kind of, yeah. that kind of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, that sort of stuff, the, um, just the whole event, like Mr. Burns-centric episodes are always fantastic, and you don't get a whole lot more of them after this, you know, because you're kind of getting toward the outside. Some purists would say, like, sort of season eight is, like, so they're cut off, or season 11, whatever. I'm a lot nicer, and I, I go to, like, season 17 or 18. Wow. So much, still some good, that's generous. good stuff. And yet that's still, like, 13 years ago. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. So just you know, Mr. Burns is hilarious. This or the, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead or how this conversation is supposed to go. But uh, Homer with the trillion dollar bill trying to feed it into a vending machine <laughs> to get a, a Buzz Cola, yeah, and yeah. then Mr. Burns shouting, "There's soda on the plane!" Like it's just just fantastic. It does seem to occupy a nice gray area in between, like the early seasons. Mr. Burns is just the evil rich boss. And he's and, and he's a super old old person, and they love like with Conan back in the day, they, they would love writing those kind of old man episodes. Right, so there's a hint of that too. But in this one, I mean, he, I mean, he's not necessarily portrayed as the hero, but like you know, seeing him come out with the, the old car, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they actually name it in the episode, and I, I oh, watched... it's a what is it? A Stouts. Uh, like a 1936 Stetson Bearcats. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, like, that's another one of the great jokes. You know, um, uh, I'll be on the lookout for a maroon, maroon 1936 yeah. Bearcat. It drives by. Wickham's like, oh, it really is more of a burgundy. <laughs> like, okay. Brilliant, you know, joke construction here. Yeah, but, it's the whole thing. Like Mr. Burns' perception of the world as he makes his his great escape coming out. That was a riot. He really is the star, isn't he? Oh, uh, I guess we should mention just for those of you who are following at home on your Netflix, this is a this is season nine, episode twenty. Yeah, um, originally aired in nineteen ninety eight. So you want to find it? That's where it is. I know, right? <laughs> Thirteen seasons at nineteen ninety eight, and it's still going crazy. Yeah, it's uh, what they're, they're renewed to the end of season thirty now. Right. Yeah. But and it's like it's a constant in our lives. I feel. I feel yeah. like it's it's just gonna go on. Like I. I don't want it to be canceled until I die, and I don't want to die soon, so, (laughs) you know, it's got to be around. That's a reasonable (laughs) position to take. All right, well, let's move on. What's number four on that list? Uh, Number four on that list uh, is the season opener from season nine, uh, The City of New York versus Homer Simpson. That is a classic episode, and it I remember, you know, not to bring us down or anything, but it was uh, after September 11th, they stopped airing that uh, that episode for a while. Yeah, you don't see it. 
anywhere really. I mean, like you see everything now because it's all online, right? But yeah, like it's, yeah, it was out yeah. of syndication yeah. until we started watching television online. I mean, because mm-hmm. a lot of it happens at the World Trade Center, and it really does, yeah. and it plays a big part of it. And yeah. like even the two dudes yelling at each other, they stick all the jerks in yeah. Tower One. Yes. You know, so many great jokes though. Yeah. It is a joke machine. It's like I was watching it and laughing from beginning to end, and. So many things that we quoted so much as as kids, like uh, when the the hot dog, no, the the crowd collage <laughs> vendor collage, yeah. comes by and he, he eats all this disgusting meat on a stick, and then the guy off has to wash that down. Yeah, yeah. Mean, crab crab Mountain Dew or, or Mountain crab juice? juice. <laughs> Ugh, oh, I'll take a crab juice. Yeah, that that line might have been responsible for my disliking Mountain Dew exactly, as a kid. Exactly, exactly. Because Homer Simpson didn't like Mountain Dew. Yeah, He'd rather have yeah. the crab juice. I certainly didn't want it. And again, that. <laughs> misdirection at the time again like you we don't think that that was 21 years ago that you know or basically or whatever I'm, I'm terrible with math i'm a filmmaker <laughs> but you know like 20 some years ago and you know so the yeah the construction of that kind of misdirect in a joke of thinking like of course he's you know oh yeah crab juice what a ridiculous thing to offer and blah 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 and then coming back with the of course i'll take the crab juice because the mountain do it, it yeah. was just it was so funny and you know and it still sticks again like a lot of you'd be surprised how often I can work in in a day saying I'll take a crab juice. <laughs> I would be actually. That, that seems like it would be really difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, that one is, is full of one-liners uh, across the, just across the board. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm just like replaying it in my head, and there's so many great bits. The entire section of kicking it, a musical journey through the Betty Ford Center from this episode. I mean, I think that's partially why it's one of my favorite episodes because it just oh, such yeah. a catchy song. Yeah, oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Shh, and... they're, they're strapping down Liza Minnelli. <laughs> I, would, I should put you away where you can't kill and maim us, but this is L.A. and you're rich and famous. <laughs> or and, and preceding that, one of my favorite lines as well i mean like i'm a huge fan of musicals and like i directed a musical a couple years ago like it's just a big part of who i am so that's partially what it was but marge saying um you know oh wow as a uh, as a little girl i always dreamed of being part of a broadway audience (laughs) 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 such modest dreams you know (laughs) poor marge (laughs) yeah Oh, and they're fast. Do we know who that, like, like when that opens, they're in the trial or in the courtroom scene of the Simpsons. Do we know who that celebrity is supposed to represent? Uh, my thought is Robert Downey Jr. Could be. That makes a lot kind of sense. Timing-wise. Yeah, it would have made sense like for the era. Mid yeah. to late 90s there, so I'm not sure. I do have to say, re-watching it in a sort of modern 2017 mindset, I was struck by how the whole inciting incident is predicated on drunk driving. Like, the yeah. whole beginning of the show is about drunk driving and how hilarious it is. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's it's funny. Like, it's really funny. Pit, but you would never see it. You're right, on TV today. Yeah. Well, that's very yeah. true. I mean, to be fair, like, you know, it's with, it's with Barney and how, like, he can't handle being the designated driver and he goes but, crazy. Yeah, but there is... Duffman yeah, shows yeah. up. It's the first appearance of Duffman who became... Uh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Became a pretty... Uh, is it? That's what I read. Did you look this up? I because looked it up. doesn't... Feel right. It doesn't feel right. I agree. Season nine <laughs> seems really late for Duffman, hmm. but my understanding is that is the first appearance of, of Duffman. So yeah. let us move on to uh, number three. Number three. Okay, so number three on my list is Cape Fear. Ah, oh, such a good one. Got to yeah. be well, obviously based on my forward knowledge of your list, the best Sideshow Bob episode. It's yeah, maybe one I, of the best sideshow so. Bob episodes. Well, I mean, like jumping right into it, it's um, you know you have the absolute classic rake bit that yeah. everyone knows about. Yeah, that him just stepping on these rakes that was put in, and it's kind of obvious now because the episode was running <laughs> short, so they just kept it <laughs> yeah. going. But, See, this was weird on a repeat view. This is like to me that. Those 30 seconds, it's like, this is the origin of Family Guy. Right. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Where we yeah. just bring the show to a halt and just repeat this gag. And it's funny. And then it kind of wears thin. And then it's funnier because it's still happening. Yeah. Except because it's The Simpsons and it was millions of years ago. Um, Cape Fear is season five, episode two. It's 1993. But so many great things in Cape Fear. I mean, starting off with Up Late with McBain. 
I always love that the, the whole you know maybe you all are homosexuals like again bits that you obviously wouldn't see written. Today. Yeah, the, the MC is dressed in a full like Schutzstaffel gear with a swastika on his arm and everything. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that would never make and it. And his music leader Scoey, like, it was fantastic. Yeah, full of Gilbert and Sullivan for some reason, which yes. all would have gone way over my head as a kid. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, but I mean, it was like that that end scene where where he Bart has such oh, a the HMS pinafore. Yeah. That was like the first time I heard any of those songs. I think. Yeah, but even before, like when they're on their way in the car, they're doing the Mikado. Yeah, like, <laughs> the FBI Light Opera Society. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sings the complete Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah, I mean, oh, but it's one of my favorite jokes from that car scene when they're like, "Oh, who wants to drive through the cactus field?" And they're like, "Yay, yay!" No, no. <laughs> two against one. And Eddie, yeah, like he acknowledges the third voice, yeah. but then yeah. just ignore it. Um, <laughs> but just like when the writer was writing this episode, who was that geared to? Like, did somebody come to him and go, actually, the Venn diagram is showing a strong overlap between fans of, like, you know, juvenile cartoons and classical opera? Maybe it was written to appeal to Kelsey Grammer. That's possibly, true. Possibly, Because, I mean, again, and maybe that's part of why it's like my top five, you know, because, I mean, like, I love musicals, and it's just a great use of singing throughout the entire uh, show. Yeah, and that's it. And they, like, that climax where they do the montage, and he's doing every role. And then it finally ends up, it's completely ludicrous, because he's in full costume, yeah. and there's a backdrop, and, and somebody, somebody hands him flowers. flowers. <laughs> 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 so that? Why don't they help? Yeah. But uh, but in yeah in this episode I mean the music was absolutely incredible you know the Cape Fear kind of yeah again like classic Simpsons sort of thing where the, the you know big orchestra stuff that you know gives it a production value that you rarely see um, you know sideshow Bob and the you know, like references to Cape Fear obviously um, yeah specifically the, the like probably fairly close to production uh, uh, Cape Fear movie by Martin Scorsese the remake Mm -hmm. and there's like lots of little references to that yeah, and horror in general. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. He stays at the Bates Motel. Right. Use a pen, sideshow Bob. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's so many. There's there's actually so many of things in this episode that I also use in a daily. Uh, like like the writing people notes in your own blood. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a little. My, my my roommate does like to say to me, uh, "Use a pen, sideshow Bob," quite a bit. Uh, no one who speaks German could be evil. Right. Is a great, yeah, yeah. A great right. line in there. Uh, I I all I very often use. Uh, I think he's talking. To you, <laughs> Her classic uh, trying to convince right. Homer he's Homer Thompson now. Um, oh, jeez! And they get there, and he's in like the witness relocation program T-shirt <laughs> with right. the handball cap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Great visual gag, never referenced in like the dialogue, but right. yeah, for sure. Um, b- uh, bake him away toys is yeah. one that weirdly I can use quite a bit in my uh, my daily life. But yeah, uh, line. I, I mean, again, would have gone completely over my head when I was a kid when they capture him and Wiggum says, "Like, good thing you drifted by this brothel." All right. <laughs> And they're in their, like, coats. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I definitely didn't get that back in the day. But, uh... Yeah. I, I, like, I don't, rem- like, I don't remember not understanding that line. I wonder if it didn't make it to air, like the syndication. Yeah, well, in the syndication, they probably cut a lot of these little one jokes out. But, I mean, I imagine if they're going to cut anything for syndication from this, it's some of those, that rake gag. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Stepping on the rakes and getting hit. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. But, I mean, for me, I think the, the real... I mean, I love the elephant stepping on Sideshow Bob's head. Just the animation in that is amazing. And literally, he would have had his skull crushed and he would be dead. But it's great. Uh, But the big one for me is the... Uh, Bart, you want to see my new chainsaw and hockey mask? Right. <laughs> like, it's uh, like one of the most quintessential classic Simpsons moments to me, you know? Yeah. Like, he's got literally a chainsaw <laughs> wielding over. Yeah. Like, it's just, just brilliant, you know? And again, impossible. We're not giving enough attention to the inimitable Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. Uh, who, yeah, I mean, he's great. One of I the mean, best, um, like, one of the best guest stars, I would yeah. say, in the, the, the Simpsons history, but... But yeah, in this episode especially, he's really, really solid. Okay, so <laughs> shall we move on? What are we at, number two now? Number two. Wow. Number two. So my number two is A Streetcar Named Marge. This <laughs> is season four, episode two. So it's another 1992. Wow. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> so that, that was... Uh, Streetcar Named Marge is... Um, Marge decides to uh, audition for a local community musical, and it's based, it's a musical version of A Streetcar Named Desire. She ends up getting the role of uh, Blanche Dubois, uh, and so the episode is really just about her doing this show, and Homer is being a jerk, and basically sort of filling the role of Stanley, 
and uh, yeah, and it's just the sort of ridiculousness of that whole situation. And I again, you know, musical. You know, there's there's some yeah, a lot of the theater here coming up in your list. Musicals connect. Oh, that being said, so. As a kid, my takeaway from this was that A Streetcar Named Desire was some sort of musical. Yeah. Like, it took me a long time to actually look into that and figure out why that's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Especially at the end, where it, it's a really happy ending. Yeah. A stranger's just, just a, a friend, friend you, you haven't, haven't met. met. <laughs> so I guess one of the interesting things about this episode, at least as far as Simpsons minutia goes, is it's the first time we really we see buff Flanders, right? Yeah, that's yeah. true. A classic sort of Simpsons trope of uh, you know, kind of looking a little pudgy with the clothes on, but then rip that off and you're just shredded. Yeah, because uh, uh, groundskeeper Willie's the same way. You know, right. so that pop belly takes off his overalls and he's just got like an eight pack. Yeah. You know, yeah. like. And when you know, Marge is, is picturing Homer on Ned, like as she's trying to make herself angry, like first the face turns to Homer, and then the eight pack just drops into yeah. the pod belly. Right. Yeah. Very yeah. clear signals there. I, I, this, this, it interested me that this is on your list because this one, I mean, like it's it's funny. Like really, the musical itself is hilarious. But this is also one of the Simpsons episodes where it seems like there's also some meaning to it. Like Homer seems to learn a lesson. Yeah, which is not common through most of the show. Well, in those early days, it was a bit more common. Yeah, they tried to have mm-hmm. more of that early on, and that definitely dissipates as the show sort of goes on. You know, and as they also get into their structure of uh, you know the first act has absolutely nothing with the epi- to do with the rest of the episode, right. just as a, a gag bit kind of thing. Um, but, but yeah, but early on there's some, some sort of meaning to it and, and whatnot. And, you know, for, for me it was mostly the musical thing. It's mostly uh, uh, John Lovitz as Llewellyn St. Clair, or Sinclair, or whatever, uh, <laughs> who, you know, was just amazing. And, I... and also is the voice of his sister, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> At the Ayn Rand School for Tots. Yeah. <laughs> Which is another joke that went... Whew, you know, yeah, yeah. She's reading the Fountainhead Diet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was, you know, it was so fantastic. The cause Again, uh, you know, a couple of years ago I directed a musical and, uh, you know, it, it channeled this. You must have been this. quoting him constantly. Oh, I was. I absolutely <laughs> was, you know. Um, I'm just going to crawl into bed with a bottle of Amaretto. <laughs> uh, you know, but I just cannot get over how hilarious that character is. Um, As the stereotype of the Broadway director. Yeah. You know, with his head so far up his backside. And and one of uh, three or four great guest appearances by John Lovitz. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he really owns that part and and makes it distinct. Absolutely, yeah, uh, um, yeah. And his whole you know his whole opening tirade when he comes into the theater. You know, I'm Llewellyn St. Clair. I've directed three plays and I have had three heart attacks. Uh, I have reduced more than one cast member to tears. Was I expecting too much from fourth graders? The review play enjoyed by all speaks for itself. You know, and so that that inspired me in my opening sort of tirade to my actors. Right, that's how you represent yourself. Exactly. Right. That's how we're going to get into this whole thing. But, uh, but yeah, and and the one from, from this, I mean, there's a few of them, but that I use very frequently is uh, Wiggum warming up uh, before the audition, just doing his mime mamo moo. Right. Like, I, I somehow just say that all the time. <laughs> I don't know how I work it into my life, but I do. <laughs> You're a hero. Uh, but yeah, really good episode, especially from early days of Simpsons. It has just a uh, joke a minute there. Uh, something that tends to get overlooked in the episode, I think, is the the uh rescuing of the pacifiers by the babies right the whole great escape yeah thing. yeah and then like so many movie references to in that like the great escape and then the birds the birds at the end yeah, yeah that was a fantastic one which again i didn't get when i watched it originally but right, you just know it's very unsettling it. yeah. yeah and <laughs> then oh, babies <laughs> and then when they get her and they're leaving the it cuts to outside and, and alfred hitchcock walks by yeah yeah so fantastic good. um yeah, Homer asking Marge if there's any frontal nudity in the in the show. Like, and she's just like, no, Homer, no. <laughs> you know, of course. Um, another line that I use a lot in my daily life uh, is when Marge makes... Uh, peanut butter squares. Peanut butter squares, yeah. And uh, so the director tries them and he's saying, would anyone else like a bite of banality? <laughs> and Wiggum goes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> Very much every day, man. Um, 
Yeah, uh, you know, the, the can of pudding is one of my favorite <laughs> bits, you know, just his try snapping the Homer's trying to open his dessert, he snaps the tab off his pudding can, just his like shock and <laughs> horror, of, you know, and then of course, in reference to Streetcar Named Desire, uh, goes outside to scream up to Marge in the <laughs> yeah. neighbor's house, you know, Marge, and yeah. He's rubbing his face <laughs> and stuff just in this very evocative way, it's such a good bit. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's move on to the number one Simpsons episode, as determined by Mr. Doug Ben. Yes, mine, uh, my favorite is a season five episode from one of, I think, one of the funniest people ever. Uh, it's Homer Goes to College, written by Conan O'Brien. His last episode of The yeah. Simpsons. And a returning you know, pop culture reference here on the show. Yeah. And more than one reason <laughs> to love this episode. So, uh, now, if we look at your previous episodes, there's lots of musical stuff in there. Mm -hmm. This one does not have much of that, and yet it's your number one. Yeah, yeah, I know, it's interesting. Well, I guess maybe before I get into some of these things, I'll just give you a quick rundown of what the episode is about, because this one has my most sort of notes. Maybe that was because I read that one, or watched that one first, (laughs) uh, (laughs) before getting tired. Um, But... uh, yeah, so Homer uh, is working at the nuclear power plant. There's a, a surprise <laughs> uh, inspection. inspection from the Nuclear Commission, <laughs> Regulatory Commission, and uh, so Homer has to do this test. He fails the test. We'll come back because that's some of my favorite bits, but uh, fails the test and has to go to college, get a college degree to be able to actually hold the job that he's had for years. Uh, so he goes and, uh, yeah, and then it's his shenanigans and his, at, his uh, ent- at college. His entire expectations of college are based on Animal, animal House, House and, yeah. like, bad movie Animal House knockoffs. Yeah, mm-hmm. in, in the show he does research. He's watching, I think it's School of Hard Knockers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Corey Masterson. Yeah. So um, he, like, he hates the the dean sight unseen but the dean's like a really cool oh, yeah. that's, young that's guy so, one of the one of the best parts of that is the adversarial relationship that he has <laughs> the whole with this dean one-sided on yeah exactly <laughs> and he's just so accommodating and nice to him and you know all of this sort of stuff but um but yeah so i mean like so just to jump back before that um again somehow use it a lot in daily life when homer does the nuclear test and they're saying like you know it's a replica of your workstation don't worry nothing could go wrong uh and he somehow causes like a meltdown in this uh simulation truck yeah in the van in the van (laughs) and uh the guy's saying you know this can't be happening i I don't understand there wasn't any nuclear material in the truck (laughs) so that in in my life i use a lot just in that sort of reference of like there was no way this thing could have possibly gone wrong. <laughs> yeah. How did this happen? And yet it somehow seems to have happened. Um, you know, and this this episode is a very animated episode uh, in a way that Simpsons isn't always. Like, it sometimes is... Sometimes it's pretty sort of animated and wacky and plays into the fact that it's a cartoon, but a lot of the time it actually doesn't really do that. It's more about, like, the wackiness of the situations the characters are in that they're able to do in an animated form that they can't do otherwise. But this one, I mean, starting off, too, with, uh, you know, Homer's tucked away for this inspection, and then he ends up chasing (laughs) this bee... uh, and uh, the, so he comes out of this manhole cover saying the bee bit my bottom. Now my bottom's big. It's just this big, ridiculous, you know. It's like they have to make Homer seem as stupid as possible for yeah. this one bit. Where just for that the game. Um, and then, of course, I mean, you know, there's Homer's relationship with the nerds. Right. right. Yeah, you know, the, of course, I mean, we've seen the... the the gif online everywhere you know just homer screaming nerd at this guy who walks by complaining that there's two groups of people jocks and nerds and he thinks he's a jock (laughs) so and nobody else is anything because everyone else at this college is an adult exactly um but but yeah and uh so oh man there's just so many great bits i can uh, so just before homer gets to college the uh mr burns tries to (laughs) Uh, drop the the nuclear inspectors into a pit, <laughs> and he hits the button, and it cuts to this wide shot, and the the door the trap door opens on the other side of the room, and then Mister uh, Smithers just leans into him and says like the painters moved your desk, sir. <laughs> like oh, yeah. like, sort of the, the reluctant acceptance of this evil villain kind of character. Um, so I loved that. Um, Another good bit in this episode is is after Homer gets paired up with the nerds, he comes home and talks about the great.
great day that he had. And Bart mm. and Lisa say those were nerds, and Homer is very reluctant to to acknowledge it. And then Marge, really uncharacteristically, <laughs> yeah. is like, "Come on, Homer. Even I know they're nerds." It's like, she, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was great because it's like you don't expect that from Marge, and sometimes those little uh, asides from her are just they make it all the funnier. Well, like they have established that Marge is the one who's usually in the right. Yeah. So, like, if you need like someone to convince another character of something, having her around to do it, it's like, okay, that person knows what they're talking about. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Absolutely. And and you know, and of course, the introduction of those nerd characters uh, who come back throughout the series, you know, I mean, it's just like these fantastic, unlikely characters that Homer would be part of. And you know, and his, uh, you know, I have to go to the bathroom. We uh, we just stopped five minutes ago. Yeah, but someone knocked on the door and I couldn't go. You know, just these nerds, but I'm just sort of like, it's upsetting how much I connected with that. Like, sort of like I totally get it. Like, just... It's also amazing Lisa, who's a character you would think would immediately bond with these characters. Even she is super frustrated by their complete nerdiness and lack of social skills. That's also, again, one of those great little twists on the situation, which I think... Is, is helped by how early in the run of the show it is. Like, mm. the character traits aren't fully set in stone yet, so you can get mm. away with stuff like that a bit more, maybe? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, that you wouldn't kind of expect that in season sort of 15 or 16 or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because um, even in season 9, in the Trouble with Chillians episode uh, that we talked about before, she has this line... Uh, where Marge says, you know, like, no, that money's going into your college education. <laughs> and uh, Lisa seemingly, like, it feels weird when she says, you know, who needs college, Mom? Let's, uh, we're trillionaires. Let's get dune buggies. You know? <laughs> I, I guess, you know, like, she is a kid, right? So yeah. that's, mm-hmm. that's one thing. But you but, would expect her to be the responsible one. Yeah, you know, because she likes school and all that sort yeah. of stuff. And it's established by season nine, but in season sort of four or five, where we are with this episode, yeah, you can kind of get away with that a little more, I think. Um but, uh, but yeah, I mean, talking about sort of like playing on these, these jokes, uh, you've got, um, Mr. Burns is trying to convince the admission board of the university to let, uh, to let Homer in. He's trying to, to beat this hot dog admiss- admissions, uh, <laughs> guy, officer, uh, with a baseball bat. Uh, but of course he's so feeble and old and he can't do it and it's hilarious. But what I, I, you know, I always love that bit, but then again, watching it recently thinking like, Sort of the intention here is he planned to beat this man to death with a baseball bat. I mean, he even follows it up with the line, you know, dismember the corpse and send his widow a corsage. But, but I mean, like, he is a purely evil human being. You there, know? I was surprised that they, there were a couple of really dark jokes in this. Like, the, the nerds get expelled and Homer's trying to get them back in. And his wacky idea to do it is to, to <laughs> drive at the Dean and have the nerds jump out to, to and knock the Dean. But the nerds get distracted and don't do it. They're overthinking it. Should we correct for wind resistance? Oh, that's a good question. Being, you know, classic nerds. And Homer (laughs) runs over the Dean. At full speed. At full speed. He goes flying. It's it's really dark, but hilarious. Well, I mean, talking about dark earlier in the episode, uh, Homer, again, trying to play into the whole classic university or uh, college experience in the States, I guess. Um, you, you have the bookshelf made with cinder blocks, and so uh, you know he got rid of their good bookshelf to put in this cinder block bookshelf with plywood. Uh, and he says that you know don't worry, but I, I I swipe the blocks from some construction site, and it cuts to this you know construction site of you know a children's hospital saying you know sir six blocks are missing, you know well there'll be no hospital. I'll tell the children. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just I, I know that you're trying to wrap things up, but I just there were two two things that I wanted to get to super quick because they're like I would say the absolute classics of this episode is Homer and the pig. Uh, <laughs> okay, sorry, it's three of them very quickly. Uh, <laughs> the, the, they they steal the the pig from Springfield A and M, uh, and the whole curly straight, and he's pulling on the pig's tail, <laughs> but just that curly straight, curly straight, you know, for some reason latched on to me, and I uh, that's a big part of my daily life. <laughs> um, one of my favorite jokes of all time, actually, I would put here uh, from The Simpsons of the entire series is uh, the pig is feeling really sick, 
because he and and Homer split a case of malt liquor and the pig falls over. And the dean is walking by outside and he says, hello, that sounds like a pig fainting. Just, you know, they, just the fact that he knows that sound, yeah. you know. And they use that joke later in the series where uh, there's one where this uh, uh, salt silo tips over and when they're snowed into the school. And Lisa, so they're like, what is that? And Lisa says, it sounds like a silo tipping over. Because, like, how would you know what that sounds like? Um, okay, so there's that. And then one of the ones that, again, when I get stressed out and things are crazy that I use in my daily life a lot is the uh, Homer's plan of how he's going to ace this test that he's not prepared for, which is uh, during the test, I'm going to hide under some coats and hope everything somehow works out. <laughs> you know, which is when I have deadlines at work or whatever, that's kind of how I feel. I'm just going to hide under coats. And, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there, there's a, you know, I could go on for hours, but. Right. Yeah. Well, it sucks to have to narrow it down to five, but those are five really good ones. Uh, in any case, thank you for all that. Thank you. That's, I mean, now I have to go watch all those episodes <laughs> again. Folks, our friend Doug. Doug, you want to talk about The Point? Is there anywhere else people can find you? I'm at Doug Ben, B-E-N-N, um, on all the things, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if you... Uh, want to check us out i'm on a, this web show called the point uh we have new episodes every tuesday uh it's this um there's three three gay guys three straight guys on the panel and we just talk about uh things from from those two different perspectives it's kind of sort of like a an answer to the view kind of thing but specifically because the show was created by a, a gay man uh you know wanting to bring that element of it in as well and we talk about all kinds of different things we have experts in certain areas of study on the show we talk about things like gender pronouns and you know all kinds of things but anyway it's a it's a fun show we try to have a good time and that's every tuesday so you can go to thepointguys.net um and uh, check it out there or it's a podcast if you search for the point you can listen to the audio of the show uh it's on every thursday on uh, just search on itunes or whatever sounds pretty rad yeah thank you for joining us here on thank geek top five and while we're at it, special thanks to our crew, to Stella Simeonova, and to Ben Sound from bensound.com, and special thanks to you for tuning in. We would love to hear from you, whether it's about all the episodes of The Simpsons that should have been on the list, or just anything else in general. Uh, so yeah, you can uh, let us know those things uh, on our website, geektop5.com. You can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash geektop5. We're also on Twitter, at geektop5. Uh, am I missing anything? <laughs> I think I, you know what? I want to hear some of these too. If you guys have have episodes, you know that you should have been on the list. Tag these guys, but also Twitter at Doug Ben. I want to hear what your picks are too. I want to. I want in on the discussion. <laughs> there you it's go. Too short. There's a bunch of us, and we want to hear from you. This has been Geek Top Five. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>